Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Opinions May Vary. Uh, today, we have a lot to talk about. That we do. <laughs> First up, Legion, episode five. I mean, chapter five. Yes. Yeah. What'd you think? Um, I thought it felt like a horror movie, and I hate horror movies, but for all that, I still enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, how about you? Um, I agree that it felt kind of like a horror movie, uh, but after rewatching it just now before we started recording, I saw a bunch of oddities that stood out to me. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I have six sticky notes worth of notes. <laughs> okay, well, I may have got a little overboard. Do you want to start with a summary, and then we'll dive into specific parts of it? Sure. Right. Go All summarize. Right. Cool. So, Legion Chapter 5, we learn, or see, that David, Carrie, etc. all return safely to Summerland. David seems pretty pretty confident in his abilities, and he and Sydney decide to get it on, so to speak, <laughs> uh, as part of his new abilities. David goes to save his sister, kills a whole bunch of folks, and then at the end of the episode, we see that uh, David definitely still has some issues to work out. And that's my summary. Okay. <laughs> well, let's start with sticky note number one. All right. Carrie, plus Carrie, not dead. Yes. So female Carrie, who was shot in chapter four or episode four, depending on what you want to call it, uh, in the right shoulder, uh, the female version, has survived. And near the beginning of the episode, recombines herself with male Carrie uh, after he's able to remove the bullet and stabilize her a bit. Yes, and it's awesome. I'm glad that she didn't die. Yeah, well, that's probably a really good thing. Yeah. I still really want to know more about how, how on earth do they work. Obviously, she bleeds. She has, like, blood and organs and whatnot, so she's human. But... I just don't get it and I want to know I want to know so bad but I guess I will just have to wait and see so the next part is when David says uh, we're not really touching um, and that was uh, I think it's actually just right after we learn that Carrie is still going to live and he's introducing this whole thing with Sydney about, you know, hey, you know, we can actually, we can have sex, you know, in our minds. It really will be literally a romance of the mind, which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. But I... Yeah, he shows her that he can basically, like, I don't even know how to say it. From her perspective, it's like being teleported to some other part of the world or a different world altogether. And it's this, like, white hotel room-looking thing that he says is near beach. And it's basically just that David's figured out how to control telepathically other people's sensory input so he can make them experience their environment in any way that he wants to. Yeah, and that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure I wasn't sure if I should be amused or um, touched that the first thing that he wants to do with his newfound ability is get in bed with Sydney, but, you know, whatever. Uh, that wasn't the first thing they did. 
because he like With- brought her there and introduced her to the idea, and then they uh, broke apart, left, whatever. After he got his point across that they could, yeah, and then they went back in touch, and then yeah, but later. No, it was like so. right then. No, okay. they went and talked with the bird lady and someone else and had the whole conversation about how he met her husband in the astral plane. Okay. I think it was just the three of them. And then David goes to take the elevator up um, after they're all done talking and then holds the doors because Sydney gets there and then she asks if they can go back. Yeah, which is and to say, let's do it again. Briefly. Anyway. Okay, we're not going to fight. So anyway. Yeah, so. Um, Did you notice anything weird? I noticed two weird things. Um, yeah. She goes to look in the bathroom, and the dog's in the tub looking That's later. That's later. No, don't talk about it now. Yeah. All right. Then I guess I don't remember exactly what weird (laughs) thing happened. Okay, I'll stop quizzing you. Um, So what did you notice? For me, what I noticed was there was a bowl of fruit. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, like, focused on that. They're, like, bugs in it or something? Yeah, nasty beetle cockroaches. I don't know what they were. I hate bugs, so I didn't try to look too closely. Okay. Yeah, that's... I wouldn't say that's something you notice. They, like, focus a camera on it for, like, three seconds while all these things start crawling out of them. Did you... Did you, uh... Did you pay attention to the thing that they blatantly hit you over the head with? I did. Yay. Which thing is that? I was talking about the strawberries. Oh. Yeah. The, the poisonous fruit? Well, I don't know about poisonous fruit. I think it was more so, well, this is just my opinion. I think it's more so just foreshadowing that David has this, you know, ability to create this white and beautiful room, but it's tainted. There's something wrong here, which, of course, we see later. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's rotten inside. It is rotten inside. He's rotten inside. Oh, no. Oh. Uh. Uh, I'm yeah. just, I'm just, you know, being facetious. I don't really mean that. <laughs> I was kind of confused. I mean, I know we talked about this in our last episode, mm. but I don't know how David knew that the guy he met in the astral plane was the lady's wife. What was her name? Melanie. Yeah. Okay. Also, the whole episode long, I was trying to think of what her mutant power is because she doesn't do anything. I'm trying to think that she doesn't have any mutant power, just her husband was one, so now she wants to try to help continue no, his work. she has telepathy. She does? Yeah. Okay. So I know there's several parts throughout the episode where David hears people's thoughts, and they represent that by making the voice of the person sound different and show that they're not speaking. For example, her meet, his meeting with her and Sydney. Mm. Um, she tries, you know, she, he hears her ask if... David recognized her, her husband, sorry, if her husband asked about her or something like that. Oh. So there's like this extra conversation that she's, he's reading from her mind, but they're not actually having. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know if I'm just assuming that she's a, uh, a telepath. Maybe I am. I assumed when, in episode two, when they brought David to Summerland and she was telling him about, you know, using the the volume knob in your head to focus on only her voice, I assumed that she was using telepathy to speak directly to him, not just, you know, thinking David, David, David David over again, over and over again. I don't remember. That's fine. Yeah, I I, I rewatched it earlier today. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
next on sticky notes. Next sticky note is actually all about Melanie. So this is a great segue. I still want to know. I still think that either she's David's birth mother. Sorry, skipping ahead. David's adopted. Spoiler. Yes. Um. Is I still think that she's must be David's birth mother, right? Right? Like, how does she know about his abilities and where he was going to be? Wait, when does she know where he's going to be? When Sydney slash David was, you know, let go from Clockwork, the mental institution. Oh, okay. She was there to pick him up, not there to pick Sydney up. I don't know. She may have sources. Yeah, she may have sources. I don't know. Maybe they, they, uh... Maybe they've been trying to find him for a long time. I don't know. But anyway, that's that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. She's his mother. Interesting. I have no I have no data to back up this theory. That's fine. Yeah. So um, for her, I actually thought it was a little weird that we just barely touched on the whole Oliver thing. I think you we basically dropped that storyline within the first ten minutes of the episode. I thought it was really weird. Um, no, there's a little thing throughout it where she's like, says directly or indirectly that she thinks David can help bring him back. That's true. But what's his importance, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say to the overall, overall oh, story. Oh, it's because she loves him because they were married. Yes, that, that's an like, important factor. If I disappeared for 20 years and you didn't know I was dead, or <laughs> I married it, you want to know what happened to me and where I, I was. That's true. I just feel like they should have made a bigger deal out of it because it felt, I didn't rewatch episode four, it felt as though mm. episode four was all about Oliver and then episode five was, was not, at least not majorly um, about him. I not episode four all about Oliver. He's in a couple of scenes and kind of tries to help David understand his environment a little, but... We're splitting hairs. Anyway. What is your next set of notes? Next set of notes. Still about Oliver. So in that scene where Melanie, David, and Sydney are all sitting in that room across from each other, and they're talking about Oliver, did you notice that the theme that they play when the yellow-eyed demon is doing stuff, did you notice that theme was actually playing while David was talking to her? No. You should watch it again. It was. It was really scary. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't noticed... Say so I can think of the theme rather that goes on when that thing shows up. Okay, well, pay more attention. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, can you hum it? No. I can okay. play it for you if you want. Mm, no. I'll go back and watch it. Okay. That's what you should do. He was, I did think that what he was saying to her was a little, like, borderline mean. Yeah. About David, uh, like saying that he seems like he wasn't all there or didn't remember facts. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of harsh. He seemed pretty fine other than wanting to know about girls. About what the world was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he didn't seem like he was out of it to me. But my thought at the, after I realized what theme was playing, was like, mm-hmm. is David possessed? Is that <laughs> why he seems so different? In that part of the episode. I see. Yeah. So, and then, after I had that thought, I started thinking about Dune, and, like, Alia... Wait, did you ever read Dune? No. So you watched it, though. original Dune or the children of Dune. So go on, was it not? Well, if you didn't watch it, then we can't talk about it. Go on. Okay, whatever. I, so... I've watched all the Dune that they visualized, so <laughs> go on. Okay, well, anyway, do you remember Alia? Late, the no, daughter? 
Yeah, the daughter. Okay, yeah. You remember that she was possessed, right? Sure. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> What's that got to do with this? I just thought it was an interesting parallel. Okay. Anyway. Next note. Next note. So once they decide that they're going to go... So in this conversation, we know that David has told Melanie that he's going to go get Amy, his sister, by himself. Melanie's like, no, 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 baby, that's not a good idea. And he's like, okay, whatever, not going to argue. And then he goes and does it anyway. I actually thought it was just really hilarious, for one, how Melanie just, like, sauntered to their black um, action mobile, whereas yeah. Tonomy and everyone else was, like, running. Yeah. Yeah, it was very silly. <laughs> you guys didn't all walk out the same door? Yeah, like, why... Did she also, just... that's kind of one of my problems with the episode, mm. is that, like, we have to do planning, and there might be so many of them, like, oh, David already went, let's all just go get in one vehicle and have one person have a gun and drive right up to the door and get out of our car slowly instead of, like, parking a mile away and walking in so that you can have some sort of cover and scout it out. They're just like, we're going to pull up on this warehouse yeah, and just park in front of it because it looks like everyone out front's dead. I mean, uh, we have to give them a little credit, though. Tonomy was like, guys, like this is dumb. We're not, we shouldn't just go just because he, meaning David, went. But yes. nobody listens to Tonomy, so. No, and then, so, so they go to the... D three yep. building because apparently they know exactly where it is and which you know facility they were keeping David's sister in. But we'll gloss over all that. Mm-hmm. And like Tonomy's the only one with the gun. Melanie might have had a pistol. I doubt it. And and then when they're like, so they get up to the gate and all the guards in their SWAT gear are dead and in different states of being merged with the pavement and walls. <laughs> oh, sort of like the mental institute yep um and they just like walk in and then when they're exploring the place Tonomy and sydney break off where the hallway split that was a bad group up and they let sydney go first and yeah. she's like not wearing any armor or have a gun and then sydney follows her with his ak or whatever assault rifle looking thing yeah he's got and, and then Tonomy and sid find that guy who we saw who looks like Doc, dr kissinger episode. it's not dr yeah. kissinger is it i don't know if it is i don't think it is but anyway he was in the first episode because uh, when david's being interrogated about how he got out of the mental institute this guy appears to be in charge and then no, no 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 those are two different people yeah. yeah this is this is david's old psychiatrist from when he was in the mental institute no that's his in the cell Okay. And then they, Sydney and uh, Autonomy, go to where the psychiatrist says that they, the D3 people would take him and Amy when they remove them from their cells. And there's that guy stuck in the floor in the grayish tan suit. Yeah. And that's the old guy from the episode where they were interrogating David. Yes. When we're on the same page. Everyone come to rescue him. Okay. And. Sydney's really dumb and gets, like, really close, and he almost reaches out and touches her, which would have killed her, because then she would have been the person stuck in the floor dying. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but yeah, that wasn't very smart. You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, that kind of goes along with the whole, I don't think Sydney thinks things through very, very uh, clearly, or logically. No. Oh, and then I'll go back to another thing that annoyed me about this episode, mm. was when 
Sydney, Melanie, and Tony are arguing about whether or not to follow David. Sydney and Melanie have the thing, and Sydney goes, "Well, he's my man, which means I want what he wants. I want to protect him, or something stupid like that." It just sounds so stupid and bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if "stupid" is the right word, but I just—it really made it's, me wonder why was Sydney in the mental institution? We never learn. Uh, it sounds like she was well. I assume that since she was already working with D3, they sent her in as a plant because they knew David was there. Oh, I didn't assume that at all. I'd, I'd never assumed that she was already working with D3. Well... Now, why, why do know, you think maybe that? Maybe when they picked her up thinking she was David, because when they go to rescue David, she already knows so much about D3 and Melanie's crew. Yeah, but we don't know how much time actually passed. Remember, we talked about that last time. You think it's a couple days, and I don't. Between when David left the mental institute and when they interrogate him? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, anyway. Regardless, it, it, it sound, her conversation with Molly in that moment sounded, made her sound really unintelligent. At least Molly. illogical. Yeah, it's like, and that also sounds really unnatural for her to say. I don't know if it sounds unnatural. I think it actually goes along with how her character has been built so far. Because, you know... No, I, most of what she did was fine, but the phrase, he's my man, just oh. doesn't, that doesn't fit in with everything else about her character. Okay. Well, we'll agree to disagree. Okay. Um. Please never refer to me as your man, by the way. <laughs> Tell me anything else. Uh, um, yeah. So they walk around the base and see David's destruction, and eventually Melanie and... The other telekinetic guy? I don't remember his name. I don't know his name. She, Terry. Melanie say did once. say it, but like I couldn't pick it up. There's too much noise in the background. Yeah, I think he was there when they went to bust him out of the pool scene in the earlier episode. He was. He it's was the same guy. Flinging people around. Yep, same guy. Um, so they find the security footage showing David like dancing through the facility. Yep. Just teleporting people into the floor and making them disappear and puff the smoke and stuff. But then also footage of that big, bald, obese thing. The yellow-eyed demon! Yeah, walking through. I'm gonna call him yellow from now on. Also helping kill things. Well, not, um, I'm not gonna say also, but I'm, yeah, in place of David. I feel like they had normal cameras showing David and then, like, infrared cameras or something that was a ghost hunter camera not ghost hunter what's that show ghost uh, ghostbusters no ghostbusters i'm going to say mythbusters i don't know if they never mind let's move on i've embarrassed myself <laughs> they seem to be Different cameras, whether they're meant to be able to see in the dark or pick up heat or just use infrared. I think they're supposed to pick up mutant powers. That's what it's for. That's what the D3, you know, section of the government's for. Yeah. Um, But speaking of D3 and mutant powers, can we talk about the eye right quick? Sure. He was there and seems to have survived. Yeah. But did you rewatch episode four? Because what happened to him at the end of episode four? Did he run? Yeah, no Okay, because I really couldn't remember, and I was like, wait, where did he come from? And so, finally I decided that he must have run away, but I didn't have time to rewatch episode four, the end of it. Yeah, so... Um, but, so, when I decided that, 
the eye must have run. And then I remembered, wait, Dr. Kissinger was in the cells, and Sidney and Tommy talked to him. What if yet again, just like with Dr. Poole, the eye was impersonating? Since the eye showed up later, I assume that's what happened, but yeah. it's kind of unclear to me exactly how his power works. It seems like... But yeah, he can take on the form of other people. Yeah. It's like... He can glamour himself. Hers, she has to switch, whereas he can just mimic. He's like the blue lady from the X-Men movies. Mystique? Mystique, yeah, yep. Except he looks like an old guy with bad hair when he's not. It's not bad. Else. It's just curly. Bad. Okay, whatever. Uh, kind of rough. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. everyone leaves D three to go find. Wait, no, no, no! You can't David. skip over the really cool part. The vision Sydney has of David, or something else. Well, that too, but also the part where they speak with uh, Doctor Carey. That's what I'm going to call him now. Dr. Carey, after Dr. Carey has decided that, you know what, uh, I think David really does have schizophrenia. Like, he's been possessed, which goes back to my thing about Dune and Alia. And Yeah, so he was reviewing takes of the MRI stuff he was doing of David, and then sees on the monitor the yellow guy showing David's face was in the MRI. Yeah, the yellow demon guy, and then also David as a child. Yeah, which is really weird. And then, is that the point where he develops a collar? Does that show up much Yeah, that's later? that's then, basically. Okay. Yeah, so he makes a special collar thing, he thinks, that if they can put on David's physical form, it'll render the demon, I know it momentarily, so that they can talk to David without it knowing, because he seems to think correctly, I imagine, yeah. that the demon is rewriting David and other people's memories of witnessing. Yeah. And so the most interesting thing about that to me is that um, Sydney, compared to everyone else, except at the end, which we'll talk about later, Sydney is the only one who can actually see the yellow-eyed demon consistently, just like David can. Right. But, yeah, she can react to it. I'm not so sure she always remembers it. No, not remembers, but she can at least see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right after they talk with Dr. Carey through their big hollow projection in the sky, which anyone could have seen, and that was the <laughs> other thing that bothered me, is when they're done talking, the telekinetic guy is like, oh yeah, there may be reinforcements coming, even though we don't know how long ago David did this, we should probably leave in case somebody shows up. It's like, well, it may have been three or four hours since David was there and killed <laughs> everyone, so you really should have thought about the reinforcements when you arrived. <laughs> One of you should have stayed out as a scout, and the other three should have stuck together the whole time inside, or something. Well, are, are you done trying Legion Episode 5 for Crimes Against uh, Logic? No, we still have more to go. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> after they talk with Dr. Carey, before they decide to leave, Sydney has an out-of-body time experience. Where she I think they're connected by the power of love! Yeah, she goes to that special place where she and David went at the beginning of the episode to have fun times together, and David is there in an all-white suit playing a banjo mm-hmm. and singing some song about rainbows, Rainbows, which I'm pretty sure is foreshadowing, but I couldn't pay attention to all the words because I was watching Duplo through what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She walks around and investigates and looks in the bathroom and it's all slightly red-shaded and the little dog that's from David's memories is there looking over the edge of the tub. Mm-hmm. But then as she, they, so they show... Oh, that's so bathroom, scary! As though she's in the doorway and you're looking from her perspective. So you see the dog and everything and there's a mirror on the wall. 
put the tub in the back of the room perpendicular to the parallel to the door. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't matter. The important Um, part is the the dude. Hey, hold on, (laughs) I'm getting there. So they pull the camera back and show her closing the door to the bathroom, but in the mirror where you could have seen the dog if the camera had been there before, it shows the creepy kid parent killing thing from the stories of that very bad child or No, no, no. The world's most angriest boy. Yeah. You had to get the ridiculous title right. Yeah. Yeah. Giant circular head. Yes. He looks like door. And then I don't remember something tips her off to the fact that David's actually in his childhood. Um, she sounds or something. No, well, there's the sounds, yeah, of, of children playing, I think, and a dog barking. But also, she looks through the telescope and she sees his house. And they had talked in a previous episode about how she was a city girl and, you know, he lived out in the country. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure what the telescope was looking because it kind of looked like the yellow-eyed demon face being stretched across the lens as well. I don't know if you noticed something that I didn't, but the house was definitely... Okay, because they never show what she looked at. They just, like, do this pan out around the end of the telescope looking back at her, and you see a reflection in the lens of whatever she's looking at. I think we both need to watch it again. The house was definitely there, but I don't remember any, like, panning. It doesn't okay. matter. But she got the message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, right, then telekinesis guy's like, look, you forced me, you should leave. And they're like, <laughs> yep, let's all get in the exact same car. That's so disdainful. Maybe they don't have and, a lot of money. Maybe they're spending it okay. all on, like, repairs. When they parked the car, the front of the car was facing the building. So when they walk to it and then immediately show the eye walk up behind them, if they had actually gotten in the car, they all would have been turned around facing the eye. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, Tommy would have shot him or not would have run him over. Okay, 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 okay. Crime number but two. anyway. Crime number two. So they all drive off to David's old house, which they also somehow all know where it is and exactly how to get there and park out front. Maybe they learned it from um, the ex-girlfriend interview. Who knows? It doesn't matter. That's crime number three. Yeah, so they go inside, and while they're walking across the lawn, there's this weird screeching noise, and suddenly they can't hear each other anymore. Yeah, that must have been amusing to film. to investigate, and then in the background, again, once they're walking up to the house, even though Melanie was just turned around looking out across the street and up the foresty hill on the other side of the house, you see the eye standing next to a tree watching them. Yep, he's definitely <sighs> shadowing them. And then, yeah. so this is when his glamouring abilities was uh, confirmed for me, at least. Questionable Terry goes, like, shooting off on his own once they all enter the house, which was super dumb. Crime number four. And then once all the rest of them... But what happened to the telekinesis guy? Did they go back That's him. The The guy who went off on his own when they first entered the house was the telekinesis guy. Questionable Terry. Oh, Questionable Terry. Yeah. I was thinking of Guy Carey because he shows up later. No. Mm -mm. So anyway... So, so yeah. The house. Yeah, yeah. So you what I was just trying to say was, oh, what I'm trying oh. to say is that this is when questionable Terry's, sorry, the eyes, glamouring abilities were confirmed because all of the rest of the Summerland, Summerland team enters the house without, I don't know, watching their back, and then the eye comes in and like he goes through like television static, and we see that he's assumed the form of questionable Terry. Okay, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. That's why I wanted to tell you because I thought you had. Okay. No, I just noticed that 
questionable Terry uh, disappears and they never really run into him again. Yeah. So the other thing is, while apparently they were on their way to David's house, Mm -hmm. David and Amy are at the house and have a chat. Yeah. David asks her, says says she has a secret and he can smell it on her. She's like, what do you mean? And then girl Lenny is looking at them through a window and then... Is it a mirror? Yeah, it's a mirror. Oh, looking through a mirror. But then comes out of it and becomes three-dimensional. Yep. And then goes and kneels down in front of Amy. And Amy's like, who are you? Yeah, it's super and scary. And runs through all the things that she's been called in David's life, from the dog to the guy drug dealer to her as a girl. Yeah, but um, the weird thing is, the weird thing is that after she goes on the spiel like she always does in her Linny fashion, then it's David who's asking the questions again, and we don't see Linny anymore in the shot. So was Amy looking at David the whole time, and he was acting out these voices? Or was he, as I think, this is my second theory or third theory, is Mm -hmm. it that all his life he's been like manifesting these people? I think it's that, yeah. And so then... Well, I don't know if you manifest Lenny or it's just Lenny's a mutant. It manifests itself. Um, but anyway, Lenny's gone, and David is asking Amy a little more sternly. Disturbingly. It's a secret that you know about me. Yeah. There's a bunch of shots where he looks really weird throughout the episode. He's like seizing. Just the angle and stuff. Huh? Oh, you're talking about something else. Okay. No, like his face. Like, they show shots of his face, and he's got, like, I don't know, his chin tucked. He looks kind of like... I can only describe it as a dumb face from Zoolander. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't think that's don't, what they're going for. No, but that's what it reminded me of was, yeah, I don't remember what point Zoolander is from. It's just an image of a person's face I associate with that. So uh, we find out David was adopted and Amy doesn't know who his real parents are. I still think it's Melanie. Melanie's his mother. He, I know who one of his parents are because of what I told you earlier in the week about having it spoiled to me because I was thinking of a different podcast and someone's like, I was watching Legion and one of the other people on the show was like, oh, you mean that show about this about the main character that's apparently presented at some point in the comics but has yet not in the show? And she's like, oh, come on. Oh, well. Yeah. I well, guess I know that now. Well, I don't know. Maybe they won't do it. I, well, then in this episode we find out he's adopted. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's talk about that. It's no big deal. Yeah, so David's adopted. Then we cut back to Sydney, Melanie, Autonomy. Not Autonomy. I'm not calling them that. Okay. Austin, Terry, and Guy Carey. Wait, wait, wait. No, and you skipped my funny part. No, we have to go oh. back. What? The funny part uh, about it, well, Sydney goes off by herself, and she gets ambushed by Lenny David, which we'll talk about in a minute. But before that, or during that time, Melanie and Tonomy team up, and they come mm-hmm. across a, a French door, French, a set of French glass doors, mm-hmm. covered by a curtain, a flimsy curtain, a linen curtain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Melanie, like, holds up her hand, and then she weighs Tonomy to, like, run to the other side of this door. Mm-hmm. But he runs in front of the curtain. Mm-hmm. And so he would have been visible <laughs> to mm-hmm. the other person. On the other side mm-hmm. of the door. It was yeah. so stupid. 
with that. And then Guy Carey comes through. Yeah. And since I can't talk, Melanie makes really angry faces and mouth stuff at him, and he tries to explain the collar. <laughs> and then apparently Melanie makes him bring out Earl Carey, who's carrying, for some reason, a large wooden bat with very shiny nails coming out the end of it in all directions. I just had a thought. One of the the, e- the evil characters in Walking Dead recently, which I have not been watching, um, mm-hmm. carries around a bat called Lucille that looks just like that. <laughs> I wonder if that was on purpose. Borrow the crop. Maybe so. I mean, baseball bats, wooden baseball bats with nails through them or broken off and or with a nail through a broken off bat is a very common weapon. Is it? If you say so. Yeah. It is. Master of Weaponry. Another chosen things, and in um, the 1990s motorcycle racing game Road Rash, one of the things <laughs> is a. Oh, jeez. I call it a Billy Club. It's a something club, and it's a baseball bat. So this wasn't a racing game; it was a racing and fighting game. Yeah. So you each of the characters you could choose from either had the fist, a chain, or this bat that you could hit other racers with, and you could knock them off their bikes. And if you had the fist, then when if you punched at the same time as someone with one of the other two weapons was trying to hit you, you stole their weapon. And you could also kick people. So if, wow. Actually, yeah. How did that work? Weapon. So if you kick someone, then they just went flying off the... <laughs> so if you were, like, going through an intersection, you would kick them, and then they would go straight into the side of the building, and you would keep going down the road. I um, wish I'd had that game. Way to get ahead of people. Yeah, it was a great game, though. Just well, remake it. yeah, I'm gonna make it one day. I think you practice. should. It's really fun. I still have a CD of it. So, what was this for? Find an old computer. Road Rash. Um, when was ninety five or ninety eight? Oh lord. Okay. And they made a bunch of them. I think like the fifth game was finally released on Sega Genesis. What? No. They're old games. Yeah. No, my friend um, we got a hold of it somehow. And that one, there were, like, helicopters that would chase you, and then they added some more weapons. It was, like, mace. It was, like, mace. You can get mace. So we did a one-on-one race, and we both chose chose mace as their weapon. We maced somebody, and they can't control their character. So we did a countdown finished. We just maced each other. It was pretty fun. That's ridiculous. It's, like, the granduncle of, like, GTA. Um, Unless it was already out? No, it was out before Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Yeah, well before. I feel like, um, well... The first Road Rash is probably a very early 90s game, especially if they had five of them by the time I've been... True, 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 true. Um, but anywho... Back to Legion. Back to Legion. Yes. So, when everyone's in the house, before Autonomy and Melanie break up and find Guy Carey, Sydney walks through the front room and into a hallway with a staircase. But she sees Angry Boy! Well, no. First she sees baby, or young David run by and oh, go up the stairs. Yes. And then they zoom in on her face and make this noise. And then she looks to her side to see, you know, as if she feels like something went by her but didn't see it. Mm. Which I think is a representation of her memory getting rewritten by the monster. Then... She looks forward and is still standing there. And then the very angry boy creature goes by and goes up the stairs. And we see her do the same thing where she looks forward and makes a really weird noise. And then she kind of looks out the corner of the eye and turns her head back towards the stairs. And then she follows. Here it goes up the stairs to look for David. Then she sees Amy sitting on the floor Mm -hmm. blankly. And goes to try to talk to her. And then for the first time in like three minutes we hear noise when... Uh, girl Lenny 
jumps out and grabs Sydney and throws her against the wall where David is leaned up against it. And See, he says something about now it's the time. Yeah, for, for listening, not talking. Not listening. Yeah. So I don't think it was. I'm sure Sydney saw Lenny, but I think it was actually David who did that. Because after Lenny goes through all the nastiness of like kissing David while he's incapacitated, really, and it's really gross. Then the rest of the Summerland crew like bursts in, and I guess they can talk now. We we have audio now. Um, right. And then Lenny is nowhere to be found. She's just gone. Yeah. Is Amy even there? Amy wasn't in uh, the shot. She wasn't standing there in the group with them. No, she and must have still been on the floor. Standing up. Yeah, and so was Sydney. Where he was originally. Yeah, but right before the Summerland gang. <laughs> breaks in like they're the freaking Scooby-Doo kids. Um, <laughs> that is effectual. Melanie's on the floor with her head against the wall, like kneeling yeah. on all fours. Lenny's crouched in front of David, who's sitting with his back against the wall in the stupor, and Lenny's like weirdly making out with him, and then her voice suddenly becomes really deep and monstrous sounding. And then the Summerland crew breaks in and David's suddenly standing. Yeah, that's why I think that Linny wasn't actually there. And all of it was just in in their minds? I don't know. Maybe. But then, so, the eye breaks in with a gun and breaks through the Summerland crew because they all have their backs to where he comes in the room mm-hmm. and tries to shoot David. But Sydney saves him by hugging him and telling him to go to the white hotel room thing yeah which doesn't make sense uh, if your theory is right well so wait, which theory your theory that this place that sydney and david are going to is just in david's mind i think that's what you said oh, no I th- they can be there physically okay well anyway um yeah uh so she told them to take her there, and then they like teleport there out of the way of the like four bullets that the eye shoots. He shoots at them. They teleport. Mm-hmm. Then they start to talk, but David locks up, and then the yellow-eyed thing comes in the room and chases Sydney around the room, and she has the most ineffectual. Maybe if I throw this blanket at him <laughs> weekly. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, me. she was scared. I would have been so scared too. Yeah, but she's she like, well, if I drop a blanket on the floor in front of him, he'll trip and die. Okay. What were you thinking? Anyway, I don't know. And then I don't count that as a crime. Eventually, they like semi semicircle backs up around the room, trying to hide behind all the furniture, and then oh no, trips and falls backwards on the bed, and then it like walks up to the side of the bed and is between her legs, and no, now yeah, no. Anyway, move on. Then it flashes to her sitting in a semicircle with the rest of the Summerland crew and David and... They're back at Clockworks. Yeah, and Lenny's like, you were telling us about how the death of your father affected you. I think that's very brave. But you have to wonder, from what they were just showing with the yellow-eyed demon, like, slowly chasing her around the room and then catching her on the bed in whatever state that ended up being, like, did it do stuff to her and then erase her memory of it because that's even creepier oh i didn't even go down that path i think it just wanted to control david and you know everyone who was there again 
<clears throat> and so, kind of like how David and Oliver were in the astral plane of uh, Oliver's making, sort of, mm -hmm. in the previous episode, now they're in an astral plane of the yellow guys, yellow guys is making. And the yellow guy has so. chosen, yeah, that's what I think. Okay. Yeah. Chosen clockworks. He's chosen clockworks to just catch all of them. I guess. I think it's kind of amusing that, like, every, all the summer men people in that shot are all just kind of look, looking blank. Yeah, like they look very... Mindless, and then David's, like, eating an apple or something? Who's eating something? I don't, I don't remember, remember that at all. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, and moving on. The episode ends. Yep, it ends sort of sinisterly with just the sound of people playing ping pong in the background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Ironically, I guess I need to listen more. Yep, you do. <laughs> Usually a good listener, so that's the irony. Um, it is. Yeah, so it was a lot of stuff packed into that episode. And we haven't even, even covered this, all of it. Yeah, even if a lot of the stuff was nonsensical or not a lot. There was like the, there were four crimes. Their low budget. There were four <laughs> crimes. Only four. Um, I don't know if I call them crimes, it's just a result of their low budget. Like low budget? Yeah, there's only four people in Summerland. Or okay. five. Gaitri, Melanie, Autonomy, Sydney, David, and Questionable Cherry. How is this, how is this bad? The only people there. Huh? How is this bad, though? Like, what's... Well, if it's only the six of them and they're going up against this government... Like, when we go see D3, when everyone catches up to David, there's no way they could have possibly done anything to six of them <laughs> to, like, infiltrate it. There were, like, 50 people there heavily <laughs> armed with armor. But they like, succeeded in the second episode when they rescued David from the pool, pool, whatever it was, the facility. I don't think that was the same facility. That seemed to be a makeshift thing, given by what we saw when the. But there were still a lot of soldiers. People. But there were still a lot of soldiers. There, there were, and I'm not really sure how they got away there. Because they had questionable Terry and Tonomy with his, um, with his AK-47 well, from Terry. the 40s. I don't know. Did they have extras playing extra Summerland people in the background? Or something, because I don't. Anyway, I don't remember that. But regardless, I understand. Of their low budget that they only have like nine actors in this entire show. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess maybe. Yeah. So do you have more sticky note stuff we haven't gotten to yet? I think we covered most of them. I still don't quite understand really why they chose to have that like four to five minutes of silence. Other than you know, it was eerie. It was creepy. Why did they do it? I don't get that. Um, Maybe there's no I other reason. I think it was just supposed to be an evidence of Lenny slash David's control that they could prevent sound. Maybe. So, yeah, there was that. And then I think that's it. Oh, no, wait. And going back to the sound, it wasn't clear that they weren't making sound, only that they couldn't hear each other. So Correct, it is yeah. possible that Lenny Flash David could still hear them and was doing, put up a barrier, a defensive barrier to be like, okay, nothing else is going to be able to hear what's going around on, but I'll hear them, mm. so I'll still be able to get the drop on them, mm. basically. That's an interesting theory. Um, because, I mean, it showed them yelling at each other, which yeah. if anything could have heard, which I assume Lenny David wherever combination they're in could, then they'd know exactly where they all were. And since they couldn't hear each other, like the scene with um, Melanie and Autonomy trying to catch whatever was coming through the double door, which happened to be male carry, it looked like they were breathing heavily in anticipation of, you know, 
ramping up fight or flight instincts. Mm-hmm. But maybe they were, you know, if they could actually hear themselves or other, the rest of each other, they would have realized how much noise they were making if they weren't being very secretive at all. Hmm, maybe. Which also plays into Lenny slash David's ability to overhear them and know where they are. Perhaps. Besides, I'm just going to like, show up in the room and erase their memories. I'm chasing to the other thing, like, okay, so David can create this white hotel room thing where he can take Sydney for, you know, whatever they want to do. Yeah. And then, but when he goes to bust out his sister, it's like, why didn't you just, well, one, teleport yourself into the cell with your sister and then teleport out before they knew what happened? Why'd you have to kill everyone? Because but he's also, possessed. Why couldn't... Huh? Because he's possessed, or he was, by Yellow Guy. Right, yes. And Yellow Guy's taken over. Go ahead. You could have created an alternate thing like the White Room that looked exactly like the D3 building and put all the guards in that and then just walked through and they would have never known you were there. <laughs> See, yet again, well, now I can't remember what I said and before. And the Yellow Demon thing could have just erased everyone's knowledge of seeing David in the room so he walk around at will. I think that the white room is not a place. It's just in David's mind. I feel like I'm going back so, and forth on this white room theory here. Yeah, but then, all right, so then they're both getting shot by... Yeah, the they're eye. still, they're still, Sydney's still getting shot in the back right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Okay. I'm not going to change my mind again, I don't think. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, well, you already have once. Yeah, twice? <laughs> not sure. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, the episode was long. I wish it had been longer, but oh well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one to see if they give us any answers to any of these things. Find out if the eye incapacitated questionable Terry. (laughs) Um, Or maybe questionable Terry's is somewhere else in the house. Could be. Or maybe he got attacked by Big Head Boy. Possible, though it doesn't seem that 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 creature is actually so far physically harmed anyone Summerland crew. True. Who knows? But anyway, yeah. So that's that's episode five. I think we've <laughs> I think we've mined all we can. Unless you want to spend another hour on it and I'm sure that we could. Um have we already been going for an hour? We have, almost. Oh yeah. So doesn't give us much time to talk about our book. I know. The show's the show deserves so much time though. But anyway, we still we can still talk about the name of the wind. Let's okay. do it. So we both read the name of the wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It is a fantasy book. I guess you could say loosely based off of somebody's D and D story. Um, um, really? In fact, only because I know that guy plays D and D and those types of games, where I can say his imagination of this fantasy world could very easily be a D and D type game. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, and there's two important things to start off with right off the bat before you explain what it is. Uh, one is that uh, the author plays D&D, so far it seems like at every PAX in the U.S. with oh, several other PAX members, and his character in from the D&D campaign makes a cameo appearance in the first book. Ooh. Yari. He's only mentioned once. Yeah. And, yes, it's when... Sorry, listeners, we'll explain what this means in a minute. <laughs> but <laughs> when the main character gets to the university mm-hmm. and 
there's a like two sentence thing where he sees somebody walk up to the guy in charge of the library and hand him a book and get a sack of money in return. The main character goes quite close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, close goes, Who's that? And one of the other characters goes, Oh, that's Viari, he's his acquisitions. He goes oh. and gets books. That was at the beginning? Thing, their group is called Acquisitions Incorporated, and uh, his character is a bard named Fiari. That's cute, that's cute, that's cute. I guess. Yes. Um, so I kind of want to borrow a print copy of the book and try to find out. I spell it in long sure I can just Google and that'll be a lot faster. Yeah, because um, the book is very long. <laughs> yeah, the other important thing, and this is jumping ahead quite a bit because it's from the second book. I'm glad you said you finished it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned the other day that Tack is a real game. Oh, really? And there's actually rules for it, and it actually looks kind of cool. Um, oh. So I'll try to find the video I watched of playing the rules. Yeah, 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 I want to see it. Um, so we can play it because it looks, I don't know if it's going to be like as complicated and as much fun as chess, uh, <laughs> but it looks like it could be fun. Um, well, yeah, I definitely don't really enjoy chess, so probably it'll be a lot more fun. <laughs> it's a lot closer to quite like Go, and more of a feel of something like Go. Hmm. Or Zello, if you live in America. Uh, it's the same game. You're yeah. 8 by 8, 12 minutes, <laughs> you know, chips of alternate colors, you flip them around a whole bunch. Yep. Um, anyway, back to the book. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you want to... Book is about a character named Quoth, and it's basically the story of his life. And he is a very intelligent and interesting and driven character. He and is. So we start with him as a child, and he's his parents are I don't say gypsies, but they're a traveling. Now you know that that's performers. definitely you know that this whole troop, the Adima Ro, is what their clan mm-hmm. is called. Ru, excuse me. And you know for sure they were based upon the... Gypsies. The, the Romani. The Roma, excuse me. Anyway, so they're called the Adima Ru. Um, and so we go through childhood. He meets this guy who's an arcanist, which is basically this fantasy world version of magician. Oh, the other thing that makes like D&D is that they have fairies and the fae and elves. <laughs> they and do, but no one believes elves. in them. Yeah, there. Yeah, um, there. Yeah. So, the story is presented as an older, close, in person, playing the role of an innkeeper, telling his story to this historian, basically, who mm-hmm. is around collecting people's stories and writing them down. Uh, so we're like, it's a story within a story. So, anyway, he tells the story of how the kid grew up in this troop, and he gets a canist, he gets trained, and the whole troop gets killed because of his, something his parents did to sing a song about these ancient mystical beings, which apparently don't like getting talked about, so they go and kill everyone that heard the song because there was too much information about them in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Close gets away, and then is a urchin in the city for a few years until he finally is old enough slash gathered up enough money and will enough to leave the city to yeah, go and try will's to the most into, important part. Yeah, to get into the university where that trains our kids a bunch of people. So he had already learned enough as a child and remembered it throughout his time being a street urchin to pass the admission thing and um, 
then the rest of the story about his time at the university, not only just going to classes, but also since he grew up in this traveling troupe, he's a very good magician. Spent a lot of time practicing as a child before he became a street urchin, very talented. And also, when he left the city to go to the university, he meets this girl that he's infatuated with. It's a bunch of encounters with her because she shows up and disappears throughout the story. Yes. Um, I don't much like her. I don't know what to think about her. Yeah. They make her, in some instances, they make her sound like a high-priced prostitute. And others, she's like almost playing that role but never actually letting anybody... Well, I mean, that part aside, I mean, you know, she has to do what she has to do to survive, basically. But I just mean that I don't like how... I don't like how she interacts with Quoth. That's what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, I don't even care about the fact that she's either is a prostitute or is not. I don't care. Interesting. I don't know. They kind of have this, like, childlike, romancy thing. They do, but then she, you know, she she drops him like a stone. Sort of. Consistently, she just leaves. Sometimes she'll give him a note, sometimes she won't. Sometimes she reaches out first and says, you know, Quoth, I'd really like to have dinner with you. And then, inevitably, something goes wrong on his end. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of back and forth. Yeah. Him being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Often. Or not being able to catch up with her. But then, like, she shows up in all sorts of random places. Yeah. Anyway, it's a very good book. I highly recommend it. There's two books out of the three-book series. The third book, I don't think, have any sort of estimated publishing date, but it has been longer now since the second book was published than the amount of time between the publishing of the first and second book. Six years! So hopefully soon... And in fact, one of the, something I watched about Patrick Ross lately, which was either on Tabletop with Will Wheaton or the DMD thing, I can't remember. Somebody teases him about, um, now stop doing this and go work on day three. <laughs> Each of the two books is about, is as much of the story as Quoth can tell the historian in a day. Yeah. Because when he first meets him at the end, Quoth makes him promise that he'll stay for three days to let Quoth tell him the story. Yeah. So, in amongst him telling this story, in what's the present time for Cloth and everyone at the inn, there's these weird spider things that are attacked that have attacked the town. Demons. Yeah. Um, Cloth has an assistant who's actually one of the Fae people. Yeah. Who we don't know why he's hanging out with Cloth, other than Cloth is trying to teach him about their world's version of magic and history and stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, but Cloth seems to maybe have lost his ability to actually perform magic. I must wonder about that. Yeah. So hopefully, day three will be published at some point in my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it's especially in the second book. You yeah. see some pretty prime examples of Quoth having lost his touch. But anyway, Quoth ended in this really little town, and some of the people there get killed by various means throughout the telling of the story. One gets injured by the Grail thing, another one gets killed by some possessed soldier thing. Mm-hmm. We've been told that it's not really explained that Quoth did something, which is why he's in hiding and everyone thinks he's dead. That involved a war between the king of somewhere and somebody else. I don't think they really say who. No, they don't say who. Somehow some big event Quoth did at some, like, tower or the king's castle or something is what sparked this war. And I, I have some guesses. Me too. 
Um, maybe we should give people a week to read the book, but also, I don't know, we can talk about it now because we don't have too many extra listeners <laughs> next week compared to this week or last week. <laughs> um, but also, you know, Kolf has an arch rival at the university who's not great at magic, but is really rich and influential, and they just, they really get off on the wrong foot and become enemies. Yep. Because Quoth embarrasses him very early on in front of a cute girl the other guy's trying to hit on. Hit on? More like ugh, date so, rape. Yeah. Um, regardless. Um, so anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really cool story. I like it. It is, it's not a straight, like, D&D, like, here's the, you know, basic creature. I can't remember. Here's oh, a gremlin. Destroy it. No, it's not like that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's good. I like it. It's a very good fantasy book. It is a very good fantasy book. I can't. It's weird because I've, I've seen what the author looks like. He's a middle-aged guy, probably in the 30s or 40s. It's like a really large beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It kind of makes you think he's been growing it for a while. Okay. Um, but like, I don't know what he was doing before he wrote these books. Oh. Because he hasn't really written anything else. And, like, the episode of Tabletop he was on, he introduced himself only as the author of The Name of the Wind and Life Fear and not, like, anything else. Well, maybe, like, all say. good writers. He had a day job. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I haven't looked him up enough to find out what that would have been. I'm curious, though, because the book seems like it's been fairly successful among at least fantasy geeks who like D&D and fantasy stories and probably have read Lord of the Rings a bajillion times and Potter and everything else. Okay, well, um, I haven't read Lord of the Rings a bajillion times. Just once, but... <laughs> um, anyway, he seems to have been doing well. It's like, what, how is he only on his the third book ever? Like, what else did he do? He says he's a writer, and he's always, he seems like he's committed to just doing this as a living now. So it's just one of those, like, I am curious about the human aspect of this. Well, maybe he has a blog, like George R. R. Martin does. Maybe. Apparently some of his short stories have been included in compendiums alongside George R. R. Oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe he was a writer, a short story writer, and then just never came up to your radar. But even his Wikipedia, well, I can't remember looking at his Wikipedia page or about that series, but there's nothing else about what he's written on it. Yeah. I will be looking into it. Yeah, do your due diligence. Come on. (laughs) I'm sorry, I only had a week to prepare for this. Um... (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in my own in my own estimation, I really enjoyed the novel too. I thought it was actually very well written. I I'm didn't know what was going to happen, huh? I'm glad you changed your mind. I mean, I just I didn't have time. At the point where you'd only read the first couple of chapters, complaining about his flowery and obscure language. No, 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 no. that was just the prologue, and it was only one sentence. And I was just like, "What the actual hoo-ha <laughs> are you trying to say?" Like, what are you trying to say? I didn't like that. So everyone just skip over the last line of the prologue and the last line of the uh, epilogue. I'm not even sure I can call it that. Of each book. Just skip it. Yeah. It's dumb. Other it's than that. It's a literary thing. It's dumb. Literary consistency. I'm not saying that it's not. It's just literary consistency. Consistency. In every book talking about the silence of Oh, no. Parts. It's not even the fact that, you know, he does it. I just don't want anyone to be exposed to the confusion <laughs> I felt when I read it. Because I didn't know what he meant about the cut flower silence. And I'm glad that you explained it to me and you had your own interpretation. Because I was just like, what? 
hard stop. Do I need to continue this novel? You do, and you did. Yes. I'm glad you did. So everyone continue. Just skip over. Just skip. But anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of a slow start. It does. It gets good. It gets good. It's well written, like I said. I really enjoyed all the time that we spent with on Kavos' childhood. I really feel mm-hmm. like that fleshed him out very well um, yeah. for all the trials and tribulations he's going to face in the you know the rest of his saga. Yeah, not a lot of stories do that. I think they don't have like a a, a huge childhood portion. No, a lot of stories start when the person's a young adult. Mm-hmm. They're like teens and early twenties. Yeah, we start with him basically from the time he's like five or six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I really yeah, enjoyed that least. actually. But we can talk about book one more. Next time. Next time. If Legion doesn't take up so much time. <laughs> yeah. Also, I watched all of season seven of Archer. And if you like Archer, I recommend that season. If you Holy crap. It. It's only ten episodes. Yeah, um, but still. Yeah, that season also bookends itself in a very similar literary fashion. Oh, really? Where the very beginning of the first episode is characters talking from part of the last episode hmm. yeah interesting. and i'm not sure if the ending is sad or not well okay so of it's Archer? A sad ending. yes okay i don't know spoilers ahead sorry uh, <laughs> it's a very sad ending unless they do the typical archer thing which is to start the new season by explaining the crazy way everyone got out of the whatever happened at the end of the last season Okay. And all the commercials for the next season make it look like they're doing this L.A. noir thing that I don't know if it's actually supposed to be part of the reality of the Archer normal seasons up through this point. Hmm. Very, yeah. So it'll be weird because they, they allude to it being that in one of the episodes beginning of the season where they're all so in the season they're all in LA trying to run a private eye agency Mm -hmm. because they've been prevented kicked out of the espionage world basically Um, so they're at this fancy dinner and this movie producer is trying to get the female lead I call her Lana King Mm -hmm. um, Archer's on again off again girlfriend slash (laughs) mother of his child to be a technical advisor to this movie he's writing. Interesting. And he mentions wanting to... She says, oh, you mean like some sort of... Is this some sort of noir something or other movie? No, but that sounds like a good idea for something else. <laughs> and then like skip ahead to the commercial break where they're like, season eight of Archer. Noir. New time period. New blah, blah, blah. Same crew. Interesting. There's a bunch of clips of them, like, in 50s attire saying very 19 things. It's unclear if they're actually in the 50s or if it's, like, in the season 6, where they're called it Archer Vice or something, where it was all very, like, 80s cop drama as Oh, uh, uh, well, but, I guess you'll no, see in... On April 16th? I can't remember which day it is now. Yeah, the other thing that really confuses me is the show... And they roll the credits, they show the same picture of the weird lady in a white tank top that I have no idea what her role is, and then they show a Georgia peach and the voice goes, Georgia. Georgia. And then they show a Comedy Central logo. Is it? Yeah, but the show's on FX. FXX. <laughs> well, it was originally on FX. Yeah, now, I know, I know. I'm being dumb. Anyway. Is. But, like, 
far as I know, has nothing to do with Comedy Central. So why is there Comedy Central? It's a very like logo at the very end of the episode. So it's not playing. It's not even like it was a rerun on Comedy Central. It's all on FX. Like I don't know. Like, Who knows? Business relationship in the background. I don't know about. Yeah, they may. Maybe, Maybe they have this whole time. Comedy Central runs FX, and it's like they're. This wasn't good enough for the Comedy Central channel. Put it on FX. That's know. doubtful. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You can look it up. I can. <laughs> the but conspiracy. I, just, I, I never noticed it on any of the other seasons. Well, yeah, maybe it wasn't sure. there. Maybe it's not that you didn't notice like, it. Maybe it just wasn't there. Not even, I don't know. I have like DVD and Blu-ray copies of the show, too, and I've never seen it on that either, so it was just, like, really bizarre. Hmm. And then, also, can you complain about Sling real quick? Sling? This is running really long. Uh, yeah, Sure. Not how you have to pay for it, and that you still watch commercials, and even when you're watching the on-demand stuff, you can't scrub through the timeline at all. No, you can't. And they it's have irritating. buttons skip ahead and skip back by however many seconds, and they don't do anything. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's like, dumb. And the YouTube app is... Not YouTube. The iPad app is so awful. Half the time, after I've made two presses on the screen, the whole thing freezes, and I have to like double-tap the home button and close the program before I can even do anything else on my iPad. Like, <laughs> it, will, it will quit itself out, and then I can't even like swipe left or right <laughs> on the screen to get the other sets of my icons without quitting the app. Can I say something it's mean so and hurtful? Ridiculous. Okay. It might be because you're using a grandpa iPad, you know? It's it's an old iPad. My my Gen 2 iPad, thank you, <laughs> is perfectly incapable of doing Incapable? It. Now, you heard me. <laughs> it's um, okay. But yeah, so it's definitely having problems with that. Yeah, um, it's okay. Mine is too, actually. I was just being silly. So, like, if YouTube gets this thing off the ground, they want to do you watch TV shows either when they air or shortly after. Like, I am all in favor of canceling Sling because it is otherwise, like, completely unusable. It's exactly like and watching as, TV, which is what we are paying for, unfortunately. It kind of is. Yeah. It is. That's that's what I decided. But even TV, when you're watching stuff on demand, you can scrub through the timeline. Well, I've never watched on demand through TV. I don't know what well, that even means. My parents have been paying their two dollars or whatever to run movie a lot lately off of our cable providers on demand services and they can skip back and forth between scenes oh. so yeah well um, that's messed up yeah. that's all i gotta say also like like our problems where i could see chapter five of region the day after it aired on my pc but you couldn't see it on your apple devices or roku and whatever else you have i have mall no, 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 yeah and, and like when I use my iPad, when I try to go to the Adventure Time thing, because I've seen some of that show and enough to be kind of curious and think it's kind of a silly, goofy thing to waste my time while I'm trying to fall asleep. Um, even when I look in the favorites, I can't change the episode or season, and they only have six total episodes from five different seasons when I look on the computer to see what they have for the, like, watch it now. Mm. But it's not my thing. It's like... How do you, why do you only have one or two episodes from each of the first five seasons? That's all that they were allowed to give, apparently. That's so weird. Or maybe if we had the upper tier of Sling, whichever, I don't know what color that is, maybe it's magenta. 
Um, maybe then we would have access to it all. I don't know. And then, like, when I tried to watch Archer when you first introduced me to Sling a couple weeks ago, it wouldn't show anything or let me play it at all, and then suddenly Season 7 was there. Well, see, the thing is... was there at first. The thing is, though, like, when I showed it to you, I showed it to you on FX, because that's the channel that it was on. Mm-hmm. But now, Archer's not on FX, it's on FXX. <laughs> And so that's uh, where season seven, seven was. Yeah, I was like, let me just check here, because I'm curious. Uh, okay. I but I didn't see season six or any of the previous ones. So those uh, are just lost to the ether. Like, I don't know where, where they are or I why. I see those on Netflix. Netflix? Yeah, I might be able to watch season seven on Netflix by now, I should check. But yeah, I don't, I don't think Sling's a product worth keeping until, well, Forever, and if we had another way to watch <laughs> Legion and The Expanse, yeah, I would totally go for that. And now that I think about it, it's probably cheaper to just buy each episode of those shows. The thing about it, though, Amazon, okay, wait, I know the subscription for Sling for the duration of the time it takes to produce it. Yes. So the problem with that that I have with that is that I don't know if I'll want to buy... Well, anyway, that's a different argument. But anyway, um, my problem actually with canceling Sling and not being able to watch The Expanse, first of all, and Legion, Mm -hmm. second of all, is that for at least one episode of The Expanse, during the live broadcast, which I watched on Sling, there was actually a huge scene, which is what I thought pretty pivotal, which was was cut out of the on-demand version that they uploaded later. Yeah. On Sling or on Amazon? On Sling. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. But so that's another thing against Sling. But what I'm saying is, all right, <laughs> we're watching these shows and they come out an episode a week, 10 episodes, so that's two and a half months. Maybe sometimes I take a week off. So we'll say we pay for three months. Sling, we'll say for the sake of argument, is 10 bucks a month. So it's 20. Bucks, 20 bucks a month? Yep. So you're paying $60 for those three months to watch these two shows we like. Whereas if we just went to Amazon, we'd pay a buck ninety-nine an episode. No, it would be. I'm gonna check it for you right now. Okay. Well, that's I think we could pay less money, still watch these shows within a day or two when they're released live on TV, and not have to get slipped. For for the Expanse, at least, it's two ninety-nine for HD and one ninety-nine for SD per episode. Okay, so we need. 20 bucks for that whole show. And it's twenty two ninety nine if you want to buy the whole season for SD and twenty nine ninety nine for HD. For the whole, for what? The whole season uh, two of The Expanse. That's weird. It costs more to buy it all at once than to buy per episode? Yes. Because that's how Amazon works. Okay. And then for Legion, I assume similar pricing structure. You know, is Legion on Amazon? You said you bought season chapter four or three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. You're right. I totally forgot about that, because I was so frustrated with Sling. Exactly, because we didn't upload it for like three days. Yeah, I was like, what on earth? You thought it wasn't going to be there, and then they... Did. <laughs> did the same thing with episode four, I think. I mean, I didn't even bother checking, so I just assumed... Yeah, that... and then for me, chapter five was up within a day or two, and for you it wasn't. Yeah, it so... longer. Irritating. Season one yeah. HD is nineteen ninety nine for Legion. See, so for... Two-thirds the price, we can get both of these shows. But then we don't get to watch it live! How long does it take Amazon to get an episode up? Next day, hopefully. Yeah, so we get to watch it Thursday, it's still being time to record. Yeah, I know. Well, anyway, alright. Yeah. We've we've, um, offended potential sponsors enough. 
<laughs> um, you can find us online on Twitter. Uh, Twitter at Opmayvery. Opmayvery. O P Mayvery. Yeah. Um, and then through that, you also find links to the SoundClouds of this because I've been a bad man and haven't gotten our album art ready for our iTunes download. Of and then we'll it's, also. It's just at hilarious that that's the only thing stopping you. <laughs> I don't know why. Whatever. Anyway, we'll talk about this later. But I just want to Um, thank everyone for listening. We'll have a blog and possibly forums for you eventually, as well as intro music. We have selected and contracted our intro music. And you'll be hearing it in this episode. Oh, Oh, great. Are you going to put it at the beginning and the end? Yeah, I am. Okay, excellent. So I hope you enjoyed the intro music. And the outro music. And the actual music. It's the same song for both, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. And you want to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it was created. It was created by our, our good friend and composer E.T. Chen. You can find him on Twitter at E.T. is an alien, as well as on SoundCloud at E.T. is an alien. E.T. like the movie. Yep, the letter E, the letter T. Yeah. Um, and he did, he did a really great job with ours and the other. Uh, compositions I've heard from him. Uh, he did a really good job at creating music. Yeah, he's excellent. I am a huge fan. And uh, really chill. So I hope he never gets famous and it goes to his head. <laughs> <laughs> he can get famous. I just hope it doesn't go to his head. He's a nice guy. When he um, hears this, he's going to be like, hey, <laughs> what? <laughs> Is he going to listen to this? He may. Oh, cool. Hi, Eddie. Um, so thank you all for joining us and uh, look forward to episode 3 and our potential website slash blog slash forums yes very exciting very exciting (laughs) (laughs) alright well it was very fun and we will talk to you guys next week